Uh, it's good to be here. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 5 today. Uh, you can open your Bibles there. Uh, we started in 1 Timothy 5 last week. We're going to finish that chapter. So our verses today are 17 through the end of the chapter. If we could put that outline up. But Mark, I'm going to need to use you again. Uh, we've been in this series uh, since the beginning of the fall. Uh, we have two more weeks in 1 Timothy uh, we will finish that before Christmas, and then uh, in January, February, we'll go to Second Timothy uh, as we continue through these letters from Paul to Timothy. Uh, just a point on that last number, number F, Paul's instructions uh, concerning relationships. The context of the teaching uh, today, it's instruction. Uh, it is, uh, there are verses that are serious for our consideration in the Word of God. Uh, we're going to talk about those things uh, relationships matter. We talked about this last week. Relationships matter. Uh, also, relationships require work. Amen? Any relationship. Like, it's not good for us to do life alone. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Isolation, relational isolation is the devil's playground. He messes with us when we are not uh, in community with each other. Iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. Let us not give up the habit of doing this on a regular basis so that we can encourage one another uh, as the day approaches. Um, we said last week, one of the main points that uh, the, the church, God's household, is a family. We are mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. Uh, we said Christianity is a belief system, and it is also a belong system. Uh, we belong to each other. We, we carry responsibility uh, to help one another, serve one another, listen to one another, pray for one another, serve one another in our life uh, together. So that will be the same theme uh, as uh, we had last week, uh, just with some different instructions uh, from Paul to Timothy. So I'm going to do this in three parts. I'm going to move through verses uh, 17 to 25 in three parts. I'll read each part. We'll talk about it, and then we'll go to the next part, and then I'll have some concluding thoughts uh, at the end. So let me start with verses 17 and 18. And if we could pull that first, yeah, the, um, the principle here uh, in these first two verses, take care of the people that take care of you. Uh, last week, we ended with instruction on the church to take care of widows who are really in need in the family and the transition in 17 is a call to the church family to take care of the people that are serving and taking care of, of you. I, I will say this on the front end. This might be one of the more uh, awkward things for me to teach on these two verses, and you'll hear why in just a second, because it's about me. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. We'll see what Paul has to say. All right, here we go. 17, uh, the elders or pastors, be translated pastors, who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. All right. All right. I heard that. Did you hear that? Double honor? All right. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. All right. All right. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Take care of the people that take care of you. Uh, we are a family. We take care of each other. Uh, verse 17, elder, by the way, uh, is not the same Greek word that Paul uses in chapter 3 uh, that is translated overseer. 
And so what Paul is building in Timothy's understanding of church community life is a building of a team of leaders whose call is to serve and give and build up and equip the church for the work of ministry. And so there's, there's a difference between an overseer and a pastor. And they're, they're, those are two different uh, words uh, that Paul uses. Elder could also be translated, again, pastor. And again, he specifically uh, talks about the work of preaching and teaching. I will say to you, uh, preparing uh, every week for this time together is a joy for me. Uh, but it is work. Uh, it is work. And I take it uh, quite seriously. And as you think about me during the week, um, I would love for you to pray for, for me as God is um, teaching me in the scripture, uh, just so that you know kind of my rhythm. Every Wednesday morning is about a four-hour block where I just study. Uh, I have uh, notes, I have my, my, the Bible, I have commentaries, I'm online, I'm just digging, reading, studying, I'm reading through the scripture. I'm asking myself questions like, what is it? I don't know that I understand what that means, what could that possibly mean? I just, I'm digging, I'm writing. And then on Friday, literally the whole day is writing for me. It's when I prepare my notes uh, to give to you on Sundays. And it is a joy, but it's work. And I take that seriously, and I love I love um, that, that work. Um, his, uh, the exhortation in um, chapter five, verse three, last week uh, was show recognition or show honor to uh, widows in need. And it's the same word, honor, that is he's speaking here about uh, pastors and leadership in the church community. And what we uh, learned last week that I want to remind you of today is that that word care or that Greek word that can be translated show recognition is twofold care. It is a relational care and support, prayerful, relational, caring, sharing. Uh, it's, that, it's, it's that piece and it's also uh, financial care. And so Paul in the same way has the same mindset here uh, to Timothy to really, I think, tell, tell Timothy, hey, bud, like God's gonna take care of you. God's gonna provide for you and God's gonna use the community of faith, the church that you're leading, to show you that he will provide for your ministry. Um, there's a couple of verses uh, that Paul uses. Um, the command to not muzzle an ox while it's treading is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25. And in the old covenant, what that did was it required the owners of the oxen when they were working in the fields, the literal oxen, that they needed to allow their animals to eat the grain that they were, that they were working on. And so uh, that's, that's what he's quoting here. And the principle is simply this. Uh, the one who works for something should receive some benefit from, from his or her work. Uh, the other one uh, phrase is, the laborer deserves his wages, and that's directly from uh, this place in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And you might remember this story. Jesus is going to send out disciples, 72 disciples, on a, minist on a ministry mission without him. And they're like kind of shotgunning all around. And he sends them here and there and south and east and west. And one of the things that he gives to these teams of two that he sends them on, there was a directive uh, in that, and you can read this later again in Luke 10, he told them, carry no money bag. In other words, 
God the Father, I, I, am, I am going to provide for your needs. You don't need to take anything with you. You need to trust me for the provision for your sustenance. And then he said this, uh, find, when you go to these towns, find a person of peace. Like find a person that is receptive to your message, that practices hospitality, that welcomes you into your home to stay. And then he says, Jesus says this, eat and drink what they provide for you. For the laborer deserves his wages. It's an understanding for Timothy to understand like, you continue to operate and the ways that God has gifted and called you to operate and trust God to take care of you and your family. Um, there was a, a tribe in the tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel, Bible trivia time in the Old Covenant, and there was one tribe in particular who were called to be the priest in the temple, the tribe of Levi. So if you're from the tribe of Levi, you, your call was to be a priest in the temple. And so because your work was in the temple, it did not allow margin for you to be out in the fields working to provide food for your sustenance and to provide for your family. And so to take care of the, the Levite priest, God set up what's called the tithe. And a lot of times what we think about in terms of tithe now is we just think money. But in that time, it was an, it was an agricultural uh, time and the tithe literally meant food. And so God set up a way for the priests to provide for themselves and their families. The tithe wasn't money. The tithe was literal food so that they could eat and sustain themselves. There's a a passage that many know well around this topic, Malachi 3. We had a reading from Malachi 3 in our Advent reading, but it says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. That was the tithe. And so it provided for the priests and it gave them an opportunity to steward that tithe to other people in the community of God's people that needed help, that needed that same sustenance. What I wanna say to you as your pastor, Lindsay and I both, uh, I want you to know that we feel honored here. We feel cared for, we feel supported, we feel loved. Uh, you, You are our family and we want you to know that we are your family. And I can't feed my kids without the provision of this house. I can't provide a house to live. You know what I mean? Like, so this is a, re- this is a uh, I was being a little tongue in cheek in the beginning about, you know, double honor for the pastors. But the reality is um, we trust God and he is providing for my family because of your generosity and your trust to us. So thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, to serve us as we serve you. It's a wonderful privilege uh, for us. That's personal and meaningful. Um, so first, first thing in our text today, uh, take care of the people that take care of you. And then uh, he's gonna transition, kind of a hard right turn in the next few verses, uh, settle disputes in the family with great care. Um, and he's specifically talking about, he'll talk about when something happens in a community and a leader perhaps uh, uh, does something that is unbecoming of a follower of Jesus and a leader in God's house, there is a process that the scripture teach us around restoration. 
Uh, no one's perfect. Everybody's going to make mistakes. And there's a, there's a process to, to hold honor and care uh, when these things happen. And so Paul's giving Timothy instruction on this as well. Uh, it's specific to leaders, but I think we can carry this as a principle to anyone in, in the church family. So verses 19 and 20, settle disputes with great care. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Verse 20, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. That's a serious, these are both quite serious uh, instructions from Timothy that I want us to handle uh, with humility. Uh, I want us to handle with, with care uh, and certainly with context in the scripture around this particular instruction. First and foremost, let me say this, accusations against leaders, but I would say accusations against anyone must not be based on anything unsubstantiated. And so Paul pulls a principle from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 19 that for, there had to be two or three witnesses to bring an accusation against someone for the judges or the elders to even hear the accusation. So that's a principle that he's bringing in to Timothy to lead in the church. Uh, and then verse 20 uh, is really uh, an important verse that I want us to spend a little bit more time on. And let me just read what I have written in my notes here. Uh, a misreading and a misapplication of verse 20 has caused a lot of shame and a lot of harm to people that I love. It's personal for me. Um, what I want to point out to you in verse 20 is this. Let me, let me just read the verse again. Let's read verse 20 again. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Those who sin, it's in the present tense. So we need to understand what Paul is saying. Uh, it's applying to those who are in the present in a process of uh, harming themselves, harming others, creating harm in the community of faith. They're unrepentant. Uh, and Paul is saying, look, if that's happening, there's a reality that this needs to be addressed for the protection of the people in the household of faith. Uh, we've been talking about this a number of times in this series, that when we have a scripture like that, that goes like, what? That's, boy, that, that seems really serious. And it is serious. And it's important, but we need to understand this uh, interpretive um, rule, I, I, I will say, on verses like this, and it's this. Scripture interprets... Scripture. So what are some other scriptures in the New Testament that can help form our minds and hearts around a process of restoration when someone in the household of faith is persisting in sin and it's bringing harm to the community? I would remind you of Romans chapter two. It's the kindness of God that leads a person to repentance, to changing their mind, which changes the way they live. It's God's kindness. It's important. Galatians chapter 6, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her gently. So we have kindness, 
We have gentleness. We talked about this last week. Paul is giving Timothy an instruction about older men in the church. Chapter four, Paul says, hey, Timothy, don't let someone look down on you because you're younger than them. Like, remember the prophetic call in your life when we laid hands on you, and it was determined like God has gifted you and has called you to minister. So own, own your calling, own your, own your gifting, but the reality of being a shepherd of God's church is there's gonna be people who are older than you. And so when you need to exhort them or teach them or help guide them, don't do it in a harsh way. Do it in a gentle way. And then I would remind us also of Jesus's words around a restorative process in the community of faith as we work together. This is really, really important. Uh, Matthew 18, as we think about what does Paul mean in 1 Timothy 5.20? Here's Jesus's instructions. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. So first step step is one-on-one, private. Second step, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. There doesn't need to be a second step. The restoration has happened. There's repentance, there's confession. uh, We're unified again, and the process is completed. Now, the trust may not be completed, but the restoration of forgiveness and confession is completed one-on-one. But if that is unsuccessful, take one or two others, witnesses, again, that same principle, with you and go back again so that everything that you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. That's step two. Step three, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, take your case to the elders or the overseers or the leaders of the church so that they can help you in a restorative process. Fourth step, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision or that discernment or that counsel, treat that person as an unbeliever. What I would say to you in Romans 2, Galatians 6, 1 Timothy 5, Matthew 18 is this. The goal of restoration, relational restoration, reconciliation, is not to win a point or to prove superiority or to publicly rub their nose in their failure. It is to lead a wandering soul back to the grace and the mercy and the compassion and the love of Jesus. That's the goal. Shaming people Shaming people. That's the work of the enemy. Grace and mercy, a process of restoration, that is the work of Jesus. I'm reminded in this pastorally of this process as one of the pastors here of Jesus' words. Hey, be careful. Be careful that you take the log out of your own eye before you seek to remove the speck out of someone else's eye. Like, be humble. Do you remember when we were teaching through that in uh, Matthew? I have a picture of it, actually. Let me take a picture, and I had that two by four, and I sit up here. Anybody remember that? That was a long time ago. It's a funny picture. Anyway, let me, let, me, let me say this again. People that I love, people, people, not, I'm not saying person, people in my life that I love, have been harmed by churches because they were publicly shamed 
and publicly rebuked when they were fully repentant and sorrowful. And churches use verses like 1 Timothy 5.20 as a biblical reference to do the shaming. And I'm standing against it here in this house. There's another uh, phrase I think that's sometimes used. Um, It's a biblical phrase, but it's used uh, in a way that's like, I'm calling this out, I'm coming after you, uh, I'm gonna point out your sin. And let me just say, like, there is a place for us relationally to engage around these matters. Like, if I have... If I have blinders in my life, if I if I am if I'm doing something of my pride and of my of my flesh of my selfishness, if I'm making choices um, that I know about, or if I'm making choices that I'm not aware of, I need. I'm just looking at my friend Greg, who's on our leadership team and on our teaching team. Like, I need a brother like Greg to put his arm around me and say, "Listen, bro." I love you, but I gotta talk to you about this. Like the Proverbs says, like the wound of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. So there's, pl- there's a place for that. But there's this phrase that we use and it's called speaking the truth in love. And the way that I hear that used, not all the time, but sometimes is I'm gonna use that phrase to come after you, and the person that you're coming after isn't feeling the compassion and the mercy and the love, let's just say that. So if, there, if, if that's the phrase we're going to use around this process, let's be careful of how the phrase is actually used in the scripture. Would you agree with that? And it's not used that way. It's one place in the New Testament. It's Ephesians chapter four. And so what I wanna do, you don't need to turn there, but I'm just gonna read this passage for a second, so that you can see and understand and hear the context through which that phrase, speak the truth in love, is used. And then we're going to talk about uh, how, how we are to use that phrase. So verse 11, Ephesians 4, it was, it was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, It's a gracious gift of God that God has gifted some with a gifting and a calling and anointing to serve and care for his church. And here's the purpose for the gifting. It's not so that I I would feel built up, so that I would think that I'm somebody, so that I would think that I have superiority or anything like that. No, it's for me to be a servant leader to you. That's the whole purpose of these gifts so that the people of God, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it's about building up, building people up, seeking unity in the faith as we understand more and more and more of who Jesus is. Verse 14, then, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He's talk, Paul's talking about false teaching. So he's like, 
when we're rooted in Jesus, when we're built up in Jesus, when we have unity in Christ, we are built up in Christ. And we understand the difference between false teaching and the truth. So he's talking about false teaching. And he says in verse 15, instead, speak the truth in love in opposition to false teaching. Speak the truth in love. There's the phrase. And we will in all things grow up into Jesus, who is the head, the head of the body, the body of Christ. That is us. That is Christ. And from him, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, question to you as we've just read that. Is Paul talking about in Ephesians 4, what we just read, confronting a brother or sister in their sin. Is that, is that what Paul is talking about here? No. Is there a place for that? Yes, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. So when we use the phrase, speak the truth in love, it's different. And here's what I would encourage you to think about. Speaking the truth in love is getting someone to the grace and the mercy of Jesus, building them up, encouraging them, growing them, finding unity in the knowledge of Jesus. And the, uh, he says the fullness of Christ. Well, what is, what is the fullness of Christ? Well, John, the apostle John tells us that clearly in John 1:16, from the fullness of Christ, you have received grace upon grace. If you want to speak the truth in love to someone, talk with them about the grace upon grace of Jesus. That is what speaking the truth in love means biblically. Speaking the truth in love is reminding someone that we don't fall out of grace when we fail. We fall into it. Because that's what happens when someone like me has this moral failure. You see this click online or whatever, and it says, so-and-so person, da-da-da-da-da, they have fallen from grace. That's nowhere in the scripture. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It has nothing to do with earning, striving, achieving. It has everything to do with the goodness of God, his unmerited favor to you because of his goodness. And so if you want to speak the truth in love, talk to people about the grace and mercy of God. Speaking the truth in love isn't harsh. It's gentle. It's kind. And it's with a heart of of restoration. But we do need to hold verse 20 because it's in the scripture. And it's a serious verse to think about. Um, And what I want to say, the strong exhortation from Paul in verse 20 and Jesus' own words in Matthew 18 is a shepherd's heart to care and to protect the people of God. It's a caring and a protecting. That's a shepherd's heart. Think of Psalm 23 when the psalmist says, your staff and your rod, they comfort. They comfort me. How does it comfort me? Because your staff brings me into the fold. It builds me up. It encourages me. It's not, the church isn't just a belief system. It's a belong system. We, we are in this together. We, we have the help of God, the great shepherd, John 10, and we have each other to help us. And there's a rod, and that also comforts me. It comforts me to know that my shepherd has a rod. Why? Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing, and there is a protective heart of a shepherd to protect those under his or her care. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 20. 
John Stott uh, wrote this about uh, 1 Timothy 5.20. I I love this quote. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to move on to the next part of the text. He says, such a public rebuke, though an effective deterrent, must be the last resort. It is neither right nor necessary to make what is private public until all of the possibilities have been exhausted. And uh, I agree with that. I agree with that quote. So first couple points, take care of the people that take care of you. Settle family disputes with great care. And then thirdly, and we'll end in verses 21 and 25, a culture of honor and purity is the vision for the house of God. Let's read these verses as well. We'll finish chapter five this morning. I charge you, Timothy, in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Partiality and favoritism, that's not honorable. That's not heaven. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Like, don't be too quick in the building of leadership. Like, be slow, be slow, be be relational, be careful, have care in that. Don't be too hasty. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23, interesting verse. Stop drinking only water, bro. Bro's not in the text. That's just my own paraphrase. But I think, I think it's a bit of kind of a bro moment right now. Like there's something going on with Timothy uh, in, in his life around wine. And so Paul's like, hey, man, and also, bro, let me, like, listen, dude, you don't have to just drink water. Like your stomach's upset a lot. You got stomach issues. You got frequent illnesses. He says, you can use a little wine, can use a little wine. Like there's moderation, but there's freedom around that. And so let's, so I'm, I'm gonna explain that a little bit more in just a second, but that's, that's, kind, of a, that's kind of a fun verse to, to talk about. Uh, and then verse 24 and 25, we'll finish the chapter here. The sins of some men are obvious. There's a reality that our choices carry consequences. And sometimes those consequences are public. That's all he's saying. Reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In other words, like, you may not know what's going on, but it's, it's going to catch up to them. In the same way, good deeds. Some good deeds are obvious. They're public. They're known. They're seen. And also, even those that are cannot be hidden. God will also show us all the beauty and the love of the good deeds that we do in the name of Jesus. Um, when, we, when we think about our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, in God's household, the vision is uh, honor with one another, honoring, respecting, caring, loving, and purity with one another. Um, the Holy Spirit resides in each believer. Like Ephesians chapter one. When you believe the gospel, the promise of scripture is that you are sealed in the spirit. 
And there's also a call, Galatians 5, um, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, since we, since we have the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let us be full of the Spirit as we live our lives uh, together. Reminder of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is what shows up in our lives. The culture of honor and purity is the vision uh, in our family. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, a culture of the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifest among us because of the way we live our lives and honor Jesus in our lives. Um, Let me talk about a couple of things in these verses. Um, Verse 21, uh, did you catch that reference to elect angels in verse 21? That's an interesting phrase. Uh, we talked already about like, hey, if there's an accusation, like use two or three witnesses. Paul's telling Timothy, look, here's my witnesses to all this instruction to you. God the Father, Jesus, and angels in heaven. That phrase, elect angels, isn't anywhere else in the scripture. It's only here in 1 Timothy 5. Um, and when I, when I read the verse, I thought of there's a, a verse in Jude chapter one and it teaches on like fallen angels. And so we can juxtapose like elect angels and fallen angels. I think we can also uh, glean from this biblically in our lives. Like there is a reality. When Paul says like, as God is my witness, as Jesus as my witness, as heaven as my witness, I'm giving you these instructions, receive these instructions without partiality and without favoritism. Like these are my witnesses. Like heaven, heaven is a witness uh, that there is a reality that angels are, angels are watching. And I've received strength from that. Like God is aware and Jesus is aware and they're interceding for us and caring for us and moving for us and protecting and serving and giving I think of the Lord's, the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like heaven is watching and our call is to bring heaven to earth. The way of heaven, the culture, the culture of heaven. The vision is honor and purity. And so things like partiality and favoritism, that's not heaven. That's, that's of the world, And then he says, keep yourself pure in verse 22. Um, Purity is a separation from the immorality of the way of the world. There's a a reality of the way of the world that is is not heaven. And so he tells Timothy, keep yourself pure. And it's kind of become a theme for Paul in this letter. Um, We see in chapter four, verse 12, he tells Timothy, set an example for the believers in how you speak, in your speech, and set an example in how you live your life, and set an example in how you, how you love people, set an example of holding on to faith. Like he said in chapter one, fight the good fight and hold on to the faith. Like set an example, like even when it's hard and it's challenging, like hold on to faith. Like set an example for the believers. And he also says set an example for purity, so that was chapter four. Last week, chapter five, verse two, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. 
and the way we treat people in the family. Purity is a theme for Paul. And Christianity uh, embraces and exhorts a purity in our lives that reflects heaven. We're all in process. No one's perfect. We're all moving closer and closer to glory. But in handling and holding the scripture as our guide for life and godliness, there is a reality of walking in the way of purity and purity is the way of heaven. And Christianity embraces and exhorts purity. This goes without saying, but it includes sexual purity in our lives. We talked about that in 1 Timothy chapter one. Paul had already addressed that. Uh, I would say also from last week, purity also includes protecting those who need protecting and caring for in our family. Widows last week, I certainly would say children apply. There's a reality for caring, loving, protecting children. Like, keep yourself pure. Like, pull heaven heaven into the community so that we're a light, we're salt and light of heaven to the world around us. And I would say this, it is a theme for Paul, a second point on purity, but purity is a battle. Would you agree with that? Like purity, purity is a battle. That's why Paul says in chapter one, fight the good fight. It's a fight. It's a battle. Keeping pure is a battle against darkness and the lies of the world. And I would say, Timothy, like this doesn't fall on like, I don't know, Paul, like why are you talking to me about all this stuff? Like I have no idea what you're talking about. Where was Timothy pastoring? In the ancient city of Ephesus polytheistic, pagan. They worshiped the goddess of fertility there. This was a real, actual, like everyday pastoral situation for Timothy. Not only that, uh, there is lots of literature um, of like excess drinking was rampant in the ancient world. Um, dangers of excess drinking. And I just think about like uh, those two things. And I go, man, is it any different today? <laughs> right, this is so relevant. The word of God is living and active. The word of God is life and breath to us, helping us understand heaven so we can receive more of heaven and walk in the way of heaven. I don't really know what was going on with Timothy around alcohol, to be honest with you. I'm not sure we can know. But for whatever Whatever was going on, uh, he swung the pendulum all the way over and was like, I'm only drinking water. That's it. And maybe, maybe that was a legalistic approach for him. Maybe it was because people in his, in his church family um, were having trouble with alcoholism and they were trying to overcome it. So he took that. I don't really know. But what I do see in this is that Paul is saying, like, hey, man, like, there's freedom for you because of your issues. Like, you got some issues, man, and this will help. This will help you a little bit. It'll help with your infirmities. So have discernment. He says a little wine. There's moderation, right? Uh, but you're free to do that. You're free to do that. So Tell me if you have a different way of looking at that verse. That's, that's, that's what I'm gonna offer to us in that way today, that there's freedom in that, but we need to have discernment around it and certainly moderation uh, in that. Thirdly, 
around purity, keep yourself pure. Purity isn't the way of the world. Would you agree with that? The purity of heaven is not, we are followers of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is not the way of the world, but it is the call of heaven in our lives. And so when we get to passages like this, you know how I tend to be around these things. Like the commands of God are not burdensome. They are life-giving. They are freedom. Uh, Greg showed us that movie clip two weeks ago, like Gandalf, like, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. This is about freedom in Christ. So when we come to like passages in the word of God, that is rapid fire instruction. Let me just say this. Legalism won't help you. Legalism will make you afraid or it will make you arrogant. Humility, humility is what helps us when we come to passages like this that have so much exhortation and instruction. Humility is what we need around purity. Like I need God to help me and I need my friends to help me in this. We need the empowerment of grace to overcome things in our lives. And we need each other to help us overcome things in our life. Or is it, maybe it's just me. No, it's not just me. It's all of us. Let me, let me show you a, a passage in uh, 1 Peter. And I want you to see like the theology around overcoming and, and pulling heaven to earth and keeping ourselves pure and walking in the way of Jesus. I want you to see the theology around how to do that in our lives. This is a really, uh, it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Peter starts with this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It starts with grace and peace being multiplied to you. And then he says, His divine power, the power of God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Like God has given you what you need to overcome. It's his power, not your own power. This isn't about legalism, gritting your teeth, checking boxes. I'm gonna be the strongest Christian. I'm telling you right now, it's about the power of God working to us and through us. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of Jesus who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. It's the empowerment, the empowerment so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You there is plural, the church, so that you become partakers of the divine nature, of the way of heaven. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What do you see around empowerment and growth and being built up and overcoming things in our lives? Is this, is this dependent on your power? No. It's dependent on God's power. And it's the grace and the peace that's being multiplied 
to you, to us. And so we get to remind each other of these very great and precious promises as we're seeking to grow and change and transform in the way of Jesus, training ourselves in godliness, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, becoming more and more like Jesus on purpose. We need God. We need each other. And God has given us everything we need. He's given us all things that we need. So here are the three points again of the morning. Uh, we'll close here. If we could pull those back up. Thanks, Mark. Take care of the people that take care of you. Settle disputes with great care. A culture of honor and purity is the vision. These are for our good. These are for our benefit. This is for our protection and care. This is for our witness to the world. This isn't legalism. This isn't legalism. This is freedom from lies and corruption of the world. This is freedom from bondage. This is freedom to abundant life and godliness in the way of Jesus. And so my hope, my prayer, my intention is to build us up in Jesus, to grow us up in Jesus, to see the scriptures through the lens of freedom, not through shame tactics, not through fear tactics, not through rules and religion, not all of that. We, we, we ain't about that life here. We ain't about that life here, right? It's the empowerment of God's grace, his mercy to overcome, and, and the beauty and the joy of being in a family together, encouraging one another, encouraging one another, reminding each other of the very precious and great promises that we have in Jesus. I'm speaking the truth and love to you from the fullness of Christ, you have received grace on grace. Fall into the grace of God in Jesus. I'm encouraging us to grow and change and overcome in this good fight as we hold on to our faith. And so I say to you, may the grace of God and may the peace of God be multiplied to you in a fresh way today. His divine power has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. God gives his grace to the humble. Lord, so in humility, we receive the promises, the very great and precious promises from your word. We receive that your divine power has been given to us, your Holy Spirit residing in us, aligning us, unifying us, growing us up, changing us by your kindness, leading us in the way of heaven. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, as a, as a, as a family of faith, Lord, that we, that we would, that we would receive the empowerment of your grace to change, to grow, to become more and more like Jesus on purpose, and that we would reflect that grace and that mercy to one another. I pray for a compassion and a gentleness and a kindness and the restoration and the reconciliation relationally that will need to go on in our family. But we want the scripture to be our guide, not our flesh, not superiority, not partiality, not favoritism, Lord, but a purity from heaven that your Holy Spirit has given to us to give to one another. I pray that our witness, Lord, in our community would be one of compassion and mercy, of joy, of hope, 
the grace upon grace that we have all received from you, Jesus, who came to rescue us and set us free. And we are reminded this morning once again that when the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. And this is about the freedom of heaven coming to earth. So Lord, we receive it in a fresh way, Lord. We want to steward it in the way of godliness in our lives. In Jesus' name.